1: Hello, I'm Kathy Worthington. Welcome to our latest episode of Late Boomers. Our guest today is Chancellor Kay Jackson, best-selling author, educator, coach, publisher, and entrepreneur. His first book, 14 Days in Beijing, has ranked number one more than 15 times in multiple genres.
0: And I'm Mary Elkins. Chancellor has also released additional books, including a romance saga about a man's first step towards gaining emotional intelligence titled You Love and Learn, as well as Real Love Never Dies, both of them from the Lucky Chance series of books published by Corley Publications. But his own story has taken him on a journey most people could never imagine, and we're excited to talk about it. Welcome, Chancellor. We're so glad to have you.
2: Oh, for sure. Blessings and balance to both of you. Blessings and balance to everyone that's tuning in right now. Big shout out to y'all. Y'all are the real NDPs, for sure. Thank
0: you. Thank you.
1: And would you tell us a little bit about your background and your journey and how you came to find yourself on the path you're on today? And were there any mentors in your life that helped you along the way or that sort of thing?
2: For sure. Um, Chancellor K. Jackson A., born and raised in Atlanta, Georgia. Played football the vast majority of my life, so that was a huge component to just developments of me as an individual. Um, Got to play all throughout high school and earned the opportunity to play uh, D1 football down at Stetson University down in Florida, where I obtained my bachelor's degree in communication and media studies. So what we're doing right now is slick my cup of tea. But Mm -hmm. um, I landed my first job, ironically, teaching English to children in China. So that's how I ended up in Beijing. And I was out there for uh, six months total. I was supposed to do a year, but... Things hit the fan halfway through, and I was arrested and served 14 days in the Beijing Penitentiary. And once I was released, I was immediately deported from the country, came back to America, and was just that's I went all over again, trying to figure out well how I was going to bounce back from taking this L. And just stayed in education, fell into coaching football, started writing "14 Days in Beijing." And once I published "14 Days," things really catapulted for me. And um, so here I am now and got a, I wear a lot of different hats. I <laughs> got a lot you, going on.
0: You sure Great. do. And I'd like to talk about your book, 14 Days in Beijing. Please tell us what it's about. And um, I have to say, I listened to the audio book and it's really terrific. I was totally mesmerized.
2: I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Um, so 14 Days in Beijing is about my last 14 days in China. Um, mm-hmm. I entered China on October 10th, 2018. On April 4th, 2019, um, things took a turn. <laughs> yeah. um, I was in my apartment getting ready to um head to an event to meet some colleagues and friends at. And before I went, I was like, hey, I'm a pregame. So for those that don't don't know what pregaming is, say you and some friends or family members, whoever, finna go out on a night full of festivities. And before y'all head out, we was like, hey, let's meet at so-and-so house first. We're gonna turn up there. And then gonna go out and have even more fun. So I'm in the apartment by myself, drinking some Chinese uh wine coolers, smoking some cannabis on my little silver pipe and get dressed, making sure I got everything before I walk out the door. And that's where I heard three knocks. Here's to see who it is, because guests aren't unfamiliar. I looked through the peephole and there stood three officers from the Beijing police. So instantly I'm spooked, sick to my stomach, like, oh, what they doing here? So I scramble, put everything up, open the door, they walk in, and they question me about drugs. Now, like I said earlier, I'm from I'm from Atlanta. Atlanta is known as the city of finesse. You live by the finesse, you die by the finesse. So he questioned me about drugs. I'm sitting here playing the fool like I have no clue what he's talking about. Um <laughs> I even try to take it a step further and divert the conversation, it up my documents, like my visa, passport, like, you know what I'm saying? Trying to bring that up. Like, you got me confused with somebody else. Let me go grab my documentation, show you who I am and what type of time I'm on. I don't know what you talking about. You know what I'm saying? Just trying to finesse the situation. So I go grab everything, bring it to him to look over. He sits down. The other two officers, they're just scoping the apartment out, nothing too crazy, just walking around, got wondering eyes. Um, so a minute, few minutes pass, another officer enters the apartment. He has something in his hand. I can't make heads or tails what it is. And he hands the item to the officer that's looking over my documents. And then that officer communicates to me to pin to the cup. So it was a drug test right there on the spot. And right then and then, I it's like, oh yeah, it's over with. It. <laughs> it's over with. It. So do the drug test, fail the drug test, of course. And now it's about eight officers in the apartment. They ramsack in the place. One officer in particular speaks English fluently. He's questioning me about filling the drug tests, where I got the weed from, if I had any more, when's the last time I smoked. He was saying, blase, blase, blase. Now, like I said earlier, you live by the finesse, you die by the finesse. So, mind you, I'm still, I'm panicking. It's the fog of war. The moment is big. I'm still high. (laughs) So every question this officer is posing to me, the first thing that comes to my mind, I'm just blurting out. I ain't really thinking too much of it. And it got to a point within the interrogation where I was catching myself in my own lie. So I'm like, he more than likely is catching me in this same lie. But you live by the finesse, you die by the finesse. <laughs> so I, you know I'm saying I'm, I die by the finesse. I live to finesse another day. Now I got to hold myself accountable. So um, they confiscate everything, throw the cuffs on me, escort me out the building, um, walk me down, walk me downstairs, and set me in the police van. And now I'm just in disbelief <laughs> what all just took place and I curious imagine. as to how this thing going play out because nobody knows this is happening. And I could tell these folks ain't gonna. it's no, it's not gonna be any form of communication. One, because it's a language barrier, and then two, from my culture, I've been taught not to talk to the police whatsoever. You know what I'm saying? Let's do you know what I'm saying. So and they would ain't bothered to speak to me, so we just ride we get to the precincts. We go inside. We're in that precinct for like 20 minutes. And then they come back and get me. We get back in the van. So I'm like, all right, <laughs> where are we going now? We get to another precinct. It's a little bigger. And they uh, throw me in the holding cell with about eight other Chinese men. And I'm in the holding cell for about 15 minutes before they come get me. And then they take me to the basement of the precinct to do my official interrogation. And this is where things get dramatic because they lock me into this all metal chair that looks like an electric chair. And this chair locked my shins, thighs, waist, chest, and arms all in one place. The only part of my body I could move was my head. So I yeah. did my whole interrogation locking this chair like this here. But by this time, they gave me plenty of time to come up with a good story to finesse them with. So I gave my fabricated story. I'm assuming they bought it because they brought the transcription over for me to review. I couldn't read a single thing because it's all written in Mandarin. But they said the sign, sign it. I signed it. They said thumbprint I thumbprinted it. And then they released me from the chair. I'm like, all right, bet go back upstairs do a uh take my mug shot get my handprint and they throw me back in the holding cell and now I'm just in the holding cell reflecting on everything that's transpired <laughs> up to this point like what I could have did better at the apartment when they first showed up to what I could have said better in the interrogation um and then just hours and hours are passing sun is I'm finally my high is starting to come down sun is fading and now I'm starting to get sleepy so I'm fading in and out of consciousness um hours pass, they come get me and they walk me to the uh the lobby of the precinct, uh, yeah, the second precinct, and they bring my basket clothes, let me to get dressed. I'm like, all right, bet. So I go, I got dressed. I'm like, okay, cool. See, look, this is what happens when you work with these people, your energy good, you compliant, you know what I'm saying? Things work out. So I'm sitting there waiting for the next set of orders and they have me follow them through a door that's behind the front desk. So enter through this door, now walking down this hall, and now we entering this room. I can only assume that this is some form of evidence room just because I see evidence bags everywhere. You know what I'm saying? No sense of organization or structure. It's just hoarder. It's just, it's just stuff everywhere. Oh. So in the center of the room is a table. And in the middle of the table is everything that was confiscated from my apartment. So the officer sits down and he weighs the cannabis right up in front of me. Now, this is an interesting phase within the book because as a reader, you're curious to know how much does he actually have. One. Two, when have you ever heard or saw law enforcement weigh whatever, they just confiscated from you right up in front, like right in front of you. I thought that was interesting. I've never heard or seen nothing like that. So that was interesting. And then three, throughout this whole entire process, 14 day process, I'm here to tell y'all I did 14 days. As you read the book, you have no clue how long you're going to be in this predicament. Um, so with that being said, the only information I really received was messages and signs from my ancestors, my higher powers, my guardian angels, whatever you want to refer to them as. And this was the first sign they gave me and the only live in action sign. The other signs occurred in my dreams. So the officer weighs up the cannabis and it's supposed to be 1.4 grams. Now, for those that partake in cannabis, you know, 1.4 grams isn't a lot. Even if you don't partake in cannabis, we're talking units of measurement. grams of anything, is isn't a lot. But you look at that number, 1.4. Say I had a marker board right here behind me, and I drew 1.4. And I took an eraser and just erased the decimal, the point. What number would you see?
0: 14.
2: Hence the title of the book. Now, did I catch that uh, initially? No, that thing went clean over my head. But um, that was the very first sign I received. So they put everything on um, paper. And have me sign it. And again, I can't read it, but <laughs> hey, they say jump, I say how high. I ain't finna sit here and go back and forth with for y'all. <laughs> I'm trying to keep the peace so I can get on up out of here. So um we do the interrogation. Uh, I mean, they collect everything. They w- w- walk me to the van, sit me down in it. And you know what I'm saying? Now we got it. I look at the clock on the radio, it's like, one o'clock in the morning. I'm like, dang, but they arrested me at like 11 something AM. So I've been in custody all day. Ain't ate nothing, ain't drunk. Nothing. I really ain't been worried about none of that. I'm just trying to figure out how am I going to get out this situation. So we riding, we riding, And about 40, 50 minutes pass and we arrive at a facility detailed with tall walls and barbed wire. And I was like, Oh, we just getting started.
0: Weren't you scared?
2: (laughs) No, nah, just truly in the moment, truly in the moment. And, uh, like so, when I was in the first precinct, I was having a conversation with myself. I was like, "I, right, I don't know how this stay gonna play out, and nobody knows this is happening. But when it's all said and done, I know I'm gonna be good."
1: Okay, and but I want to hear a little bit more about prior to the arrest, because you were in China for six months before that. So what what was it like to be a foreigner there and how hard was it to adapt to the customs and the people? And were you able to speak Mandarin? Do you speak it?
2: I could speak a little bit of it, but um, I took it upon myself to start learning. Like once I got accepted for the job, I'm like, I need to start learning this language because I ain't just gonna be out there Looking crazy, you know what I'm saying? A whole different world and don't know a, a lick of the language. I felt that was foolish. So mm-hmm. I, I was learning through an app, a little app called Mango. And it's a really great app. You want to, they got multiple languages, hundreds of languages, honestly. And it's, the learning style is very different. Um, but if y'all want to learn a language, tap in with Mango, definitely. Um, but I knew just enough to move and groove. Right? And uh, as far as having a full in depth conversation like we're having right now, <laughs> <not> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> but, but you could teach in it. Well, I the one of the, the number one rule in our classrooms, no uh Chinese, oh, no yeah. all all English, yeah. I ain't even, even in the classroom. I ain't got to uh, speak Mandarin. And we had TAs like that were native Chinese people to handle all of that. If we did need to communicate something to the children that huh. we couldn't get that we couldn't good. get communicated. So um, that's good. Yeah. Oh, so the, prior to the the last fourteen days, China was the best experience ever. Um, people. Extremely nice. Uh, I had no issue with any with no Chinese person when I was out there. It was nothing but peace, love, and prosperity. Um, the best customer service I've ever seen, hands down. And they're just, you know what I'm saying, genuine... They, they're a good-spirited people. You know what I'm saying now? Are they knowledgeable of other people and different cultures and all that? No, but we're just as ignorant, <laughs> you know what I'm saying, as they are. Mm-hmm. You know and we can point out... It's it really that wasn't no issue. Could um, you
0: feel a difference between the the way people are, the way they behave towards each other, oh, the customs?
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah, now when it comes to that, yeah, it's definitely different. Um personal space don't that they don't have no personal space in China. They'll be right here in your face and <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And think nothing, else, you know what I'm saying? And their mm-hmm. hygiene is something something different over there too. They don't wash their hands, they don't really brush their teeth like that. Um so mm-hmm. that was I that was the biggest thing for me, cause I I am cleanly. I, I, so when I saw the hygiene, I was like, oh okay, <laughs> <laughs> the show. But I'm like, hey, you know what I'm saying? I'm out here. You know am saying, yeah. But um, China was lit though. You know what I'm saying? Experiencing Beijing, exploring Beijing, meeting the other foreigners. That was a that was probably the most lit part too. You know what I'm saying? Meeting the other foreigners there because it's like at any place in the world, I could met y'all. I met y'all in Beijing, China. It's not easy to get mm-hmm. into this. You know what I'm saying? Like, you just book a ticket and you just go there. So the fact that we here, <laughs> hey, I'm interested to in know any and everything about you, especially another person of color. Oh, for sure. We out here for real, for real. You know what I'm saying? There ain't too many people from all, from where we from that can say they done walked this land, for real, for real. You know what I'm saying? been fully submerged in it. Um, so yeah. China was lit. The nightlife was lit. The food was amazing. Yeah, China was, it was, it was dope. No cap. <laughs>
0: Um, I'm curious what lessons you learned during your incarcerations. And talk about your spiritual growth since your experience there in Beijing.
2: Um, Really, the whole journey to China was me finding myself. Like I said, I played football the vast majority of my life. I identified as a student athlete and a football player Mm -hmm. for a very long time. And once it finally came to an end, I was at a crossroad. Chance, who are you? <laughs> What's next? What we finna do? What do you like to do? What are you good at? What's your purpose? What do you aspire to be? Who do you aspire to be? You know what I'm saying? I have no clue. Don't even know where to start.
0: You were and just out of college,
2: for sure. But it's like it ain't like I just went to college regularly. I played. I went to college to play football. That's the uh-huh. only reason why I went. I'm. I was yeah. all about. Once that came, any athlete, any. I'm an athlete. Once that sport comes, and you all about that sport, that sport comes to an end, mostly, you will either sink or you stay afloat or you going to sink. You know what I'm saying? I just time and time again with just, you know what I'm saying, growing up and, you know what I'm saying, all my peers that I played football with, a lot of them turned to the streets. A lot of them became very successful. Some of them still trying to figure it out. You know what I'm saying? So it's, tell it's everybody, a process. I'll, tell everybody where you are in your journey now then. How's it going show. with you? Yeah. The show. So like, like I was asking my and what's next for you, what you want to do? How you wanna ask all them questions I was posing myself. Chancellor K, I'm Chancellor K Jackson, the best selling author. Chancellor K Jackson, the football coach, the life coach, the author co- author slash publishing coach, entrepreneur. I own my own publishing company, which all my books are published through. I run a service helping us aspiring authors. Um we're publishing other people's books through that same uh, publishing company. Okay. I also got a car rental service, you know what I'm saying, that I'm running as well. Um, So I'm running a couple of marathons trying to get established, for sure, for sure. Mm -hmm. A lot of different hats. So just continuing to build on top of this foundation. And it's going to be exciting to see where I'm at in 10 years, for sure.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you coach aspiring authors, too, and you help rehabilitate troubled youths. And you coach adults who need help finding new careers or helping them find self-identity or spirituality. Can you talk more in that lane? Tell us more about that.
2: So, um, once I published 14 days and 14 days went crazy, <laughs> of course, now you know I'm, I'm, I'm getting buzz and everybody want to work with me. And one of my former track coaches, Terrence Wilson, um, he founded a, a nonprofit organization back in 2005 called the human foundation, uplifting America's youth. And pretty much what he's doing way back then, he was getting kids that are, you know what I'm saying great athletes that live in, you know what I'm saying, impoverished or, you know what I'm saying, areas and countries bring them over as foreign exchange students. You know what I'm saying? They'll live with him and like he'll put them through school, of course. And he was a former tra- uh, Olympic U.S. Olympic track runner. So, you know what I'm saying? Train them in track. And then they'll earn scholarships and then, you know what I'm saying? Their lives have change forever. So that's how it started. And so once uh, me and him reconnected, you know what I'm saying? He saw I had the book and everything. Um, he was like, oh yeah, we got to make some shape with this organization. We got to, you know what I'm saying? Do something with it. I'm like, for sure. Whatever's going to help propel and... You know what I'm saying? Push this book, for sure. I'm all for it. So, um he ended up partnering with another organization that worked with at-risk teens in our county. So, kids that ain't got arrested for drugs. <laughs> you know what, <laughs> what I'm saying? Like, y'all can either join this program or y'all can do time, which y'all want to do. They said, we're going to mm-hmm. join the program. So mm-hmm. we partnered Good. with that program. We would meet with them after school, like, two days out of the week. And we would read chapters, you know what I'm saying? Bits and pieces, like a chapter. 14 days, and I had discussion questions already pre written that I came up with, and that was our discussion points. And we use so we essentially 14 days in Beijing as a part of our um, lessons to pull our life skills from. Mm-hmm. And it's a story mm-hmm. that I can relate to, you know what I'm saying? We these kids, 14 all the way up to 18, and done did way more crazy stuff than I did. So it's just like, mm-hmm. you know it was definitely a dope experience, you know what I'm saying? For sure, for sure, and it was. It and you're crazy. learning from them,
1: you're learning a lot from them too, right?
2: I'm talking about and these kids are like real addicts, like hardcore drugs. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> hardcore.
1: well, I've heard you talk about your work ethic and how you have learned to plan ahead and prepare for and seize opportunities. So, how did you learn that?
2: Um, I'm just an opportunist. For real, for real. Um, Okay. You know what I'm saying? ultimate underdog. Like, my whole life has been... It was from football, my very first love and passion, but everything wasn't peak cream when it came to it. I ain't started playing football until 13 years old. Most Mm -hmm. people, Georgia, been playing football since four and five. So, Mm -hmm. I had a lot of development, you know what I'm saying, in regards to that. So, I had a lot of catch to do. And I was able to catch up to speed, but it's still... Certain parts of the game, you know, what I'm saying, still, I just still needed more development, and um, but I knew I wanted to play Division One college football as soon as I started playing organized football, and um, it was only just a process, just trying to start on varsity. I wasn't able to start on varsity until my senior year of high school, and then finished my senior year, I don't have any interest, no college scouts looking at me, nothing whatsoever. But I want to play college football, well, and my coach is not helping us. Push our highlight tapes, you know what I'm saying, The market us up program. So I'm like, dang, how am I going to make this happen? Well, I took it upon myself. I started, I created a list of schools from D1AA all the way down to NAIA schools. And I hit up every single school. I went to that school's uh, football website, went to that staff directory, and emailed every single person geared towards football. Everybody got an email from me. I'm DMing the folks on Twitter, Facebook. I'm creating the opportunity for myself, for sure, because it's something I want to do. So you taught
1: yourself to be an entrepreneur because of the circumstances. That's pretty incredible.
2: Yeah. It's in me. You know what I'm saying? And this, of course, you know what I'm saying? Just seeing how my parents, my mama was a hustler for sure, for sure. You know what I'm saying? She had her own business. She had two different businesses. She was selling clothes at one point in time out of the trunk of her car. You know what I'm saying? We were driving all through the southwest side of Atlanta. You know what I'm saying? She'll go to the flea market, load up on all the clothes. Then we'll just drive through the south, west side of Atlanta, pull up, and she'll just trap it out of the car. You know what I'm saying? While we in the back seat. And then it went from that, to she started running her own uh, daycare center out of the house. And that was very lucrative. That's what We went to London twice that year and everything. Like, we was up, so it's like... Oh, um,
1: good.
2: You know what I'm saying? So especially then, you know what I'm saying, that I had people around good me. Good
1: certain Good role yeah, model, your exactly. mom. And and Always how an do you how do you want to inspire young people of color and for all that for that matter all young people? What is your message to young people?
2: Um, <laughs> my message is it's a message from somebody else, and that person is Nipsey Hussle. Y'all oh. don't know who Nipsey was? Oh yeah. <laughs> of course we know oh, yeah. who he is. But, yeah. But, but, but so, For everybody else that don't know who Nipsey Hussle was, Nipsey Hussle was a mogul, philanthropist, philosopher, serial entrepreneur, well known for his music and his clothing line. And his message is long winded, running through this life like it was mine. Never settling, but setting every goal high. Mm -hmm. One purpose on the path to my own self destruction or success. But what is a mistake without the lesson? You see, the best teacher in life is your own experience. And none of us know who we are until we fail. Say so every person is defined by their reaction to any given situation. So who would you to define you? Someone else or yourself. Whatever yeah. you should do, keep your heart to it. Stay strong.
0: Oh. That's, good message. That's great. Oh.
1: Yeah, you have a good uh, message.
0: Yeah, that's great for all of us of any age, really. Um <laughs> You have a quote on Instagram that says, choosing to be kind is not choosing to be passive. It's choosing to end the cycle of abuse. Can you tell our audience what you mean by that?
2: Um, just because people do wrong by you and you should not let somebody else's mistake or wrongdoing or mishaps hinder you or alter you as an individual. You know what I'm saying? With that being said, don't allow what's going on, on the outside to affect what's going on, on the inside. My football coach used to, preach, to us, preach that to us every single day going to practice. Of course, we're trying to be in practice. It's hot out here. You know, I don't care. You know what I'm saying? Get over yourself. Get over your feelings. You know what I'm saying? This, we got to go to work. This is what you want to do. All right, we here. You know what I'm saying? Let's do it. Mm-hmm. By any means. So, um, never... Get upset when somebody does something wrong to you or does wrong, wrong about you. Hey, man, that's it a reflection of them. It's not a reflection of you. You continue to be you, and you still uh, be pure, and be as kind as you are. And um, even you will, you can retaliate. You match state energy. What good would that bring? Hmm. <laughs> will, will it add to the problem? More than likely. <laughs> More than likely. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: And what is your process when you're writing your books? What's your writing and editing process and your publishing process? Because we know um, you've created a publishing company, Corley Publishing. So yeah. tell us about the whole process.
2: Yes. Um, essentially, we we thrive in um, non-fictional books, but we can tap in with fictional as well. You know what I'm saying? Um, it's really bringing back the core of writing, the K-O-R-E of writing and that's just self-expression what writing what writing was originally before you know what i'm saying became uh some school assignments and <laughs> that's most most of the time when i bring up writing people they automatically think of a school assignment like i'm their professor and i just assign them this paper that's due at midnight tonight and it's mm-hmm. like no, nah, not the case nah, we're not doing that it's it's not no curriculum based thing like bro this is whatever you wanted to be however you're know saying you want to tell it the show like it's it's truly how you, you want to express yourself you know what I'm saying i want you to be i want this book to be a, a replica of you you know what i'm saying from the language the tone everything you know what i'm saying it's going to be 100% you all the way through um cuz you know what i'm saying we are being original originality that's what makes money everybody you trying to fit in be like this person be like this person uh, and originality is becoming rare nowadays cuz everybody's a bunch we live in a society full of followers so mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying we just want Back that originality, and for you to, you know, what I'm saying showcase yourself. You are you brand unique soul. That is So know.
0: true. That is so true. We are our unique selves. Whoa. Well, Chancellor, what would you like our audience to have as a takeaway today?
2: Um. To never let no hard time humble you, and I want to pose you this question: With where you are in your life. Right And everything you got going on are you chasing a dream or are you fulfilling your purpose you ain't got to answer me just sit there and reflect on it
0: good love it wow thank you chancellor our (laughs) guest today on late boomers has been author chancellor k jackson who wears very many hats, including being a coach for troubled youth and adults looking to find new perspectives on their lives. He's an educator, publisher, entrepreneur, and so much more. You can reach Chancellor at ChancellorKJackson.com and also at Linktree Korleh. That Linktree, K-O-R-L-E-H. Thank you.
1: Yeah, and we want to remind our listeners that we now have our own YouTube channel, Late Boomers Podcast. Please subscribe to that. Also, please subscribe to the podcast on your favorite platforms so that you don't miss any of our weekly episodes. And follow us on Instagram at Late Boomers and at I am Kathy Worthington and at I am Mary Elkins. We hope that our episode today entertained and inspired you and can light the path to the life you are meant to live. And thank you, Chancellor, so much for being with us today.
2: Appreciate y'all for having me. And big shout out to everyone that tuned in for the whole interview. you the the MVP.
1: Thank you for joining us on Late Boomers
0: We hope you make use of the wisdom you've gained here and that you enjoy a successful third act with your own style, power, and impact.